Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Lekikotopoulos. I'm an emergency physician and pediatric emergency physician practicing in Ontario, Canada. And this is my COVID diary. Before we get started, nothing in this podcast constitutes medical advice. My views are mine alone and do not represent the views of my employers or colleagues. And while we're at it, if you missed the first episode in this series, please go back and listen to that now. Everything from here forward will make a lot more sense if you do. I remember hearing the first murmurs about a so-called novel coronavirus in January of this year, when the disease still felt far off and foreign. In fact, the novel coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19, had been identified as recently as late December, after a cluster of unusual cases of pneumonia appeared in Wuhan, the capital city of China's Hubei province. The disease really was far off and foreign back then, with the source thought to be a wet market selling live animals. The market was quickly shut down, but the spread of the novel coronavirus proved difficult to contain. By the end of January, three cases had already appeared in Ontario, the third of which was identified in one of the emergency departments where I work. The threat suddenly felt very real, though nobody could be sure of its magnitude. We still aren't sure how bad it might get. In the previous episode, I talked about the SARS pandemic of the early 2000s. That pandemic was caused by a virus called SARS-CoV, or Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus. The current pandemic is caused by a related virus, aptly called SARS-CoV-2, like the bad, big-budget sequel it is. In case you're confused by all the different names being thrown around, COVID-19 is the disease caused by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. The virus and the disease it causes were originally called the novel coronavirus before being renamed to more accurately reflect the relationship between the current virus and the one that caused the SARS pandemic. You may have also heard the terms Wuhan virus or Wuhan coronavirus, But the World Health Organization discourages the use of location-based names, so those names have become far less common. When some people hear the term coronavirus, they think of the common cold, and that's not wrong. There are at least four known human coronaviruses that cause mild cold-like symptoms. But don't let anyone fool you into complacency here. The symptoms of coronavirus infection can be severe. MERS, or Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, is caused by a coronavirus, and it kills about 34% of the people it infects. SARS was pretty deadly, too. It killed nearly 10% of the people it infected. The bottom line is that coronaviruses exist on a spectrum, causing anything from mild or even asymptomatic infection to severe, deadly illness. Coronaviruses get their name from the Latin word corona, which means crown. Under a transmission electron microscope, basically a really special type of super high-powered microscope, the tiny protein spikes that cover the perimeter of a coronavirus look like a little halo or a crown. 
These spikes are important because they allow the virus to hijack the cells of its host, you or me. Once the virus has attached to a host cell using its protein spikes, it is then able to enter the cell. It uses the host cell's machinery to create additional copies of itself, essentially making the host cell a little coronavirus factory. Eventually, the host cell releases the many new coronavirus copies, and the cycle begins all over again. What's important is what happens next. You see, the virus needs to infect someone else. Fortunately for the virus, then, but unfortunately for us, it makes us cough and sneeze, generating little moisture droplets containing copies of coronavirus. When someone else contacts these droplets, the virus uses its protein spikes to enter their cells, hijacking them and turning them again into little virus factories. That's why basic measures like social distancing, hand washing, and coughing and sneezing into your sleeve or, or tissue are important. If you distance yourself from people with the virus, you can't get in the way of their sneezes and coughs, which can propel virus particles up to two meters. Washing your hands gets rid of viruses that you've picked up on your skin from someone else's secretions, or your own. The viruses can live on surfaces for as long as a few days, and coronaviruses are killed by soap, which disrupts their outer lipid covering. Coughing or sneezing into your sleeve or tissue prevents you from spreading virus particles to others, which is important because you might not even know you're infected. COVID-19 causes no symptoms for some people, and we aren't yet totally sure how long you're contagious after contracting the virus, but before getting symptoms. The ability of a virus to infect other people is measured by something called r naught which when written looks like a capital letter R, followed by a little zero in subscript. r naught is the basic reproduction number, which is a fancy way of describing how many people each person with the virus is likely to infect. Influenza has an r naught of just greater than one, meaning that if you catch flu, you're likely to pass it to one person or maybe more. On the other hand, the measles virus has an r naught of about 18, meaning that if you were infected with measles, you'd be likely to infect about 18 other people. The r naught for COVID is still not quite certain, but it seems to be about 1 to 3, meaning that each person who catches COVID is likely to infect somewhere between 1 and 3 people. But let's go Back to that measles example for a moment, though. Why aren't the streets filled with miserable, runny-nosed people covered in a blotchy red rash? Well, that's because the basic reproduction number depends on susceptibility. In order for the virus to spread, people can't be immune due to previous infection or vaccination. And there have to be enough susceptible people in a population that the virus can spread from one susceptible person to the next. Most people, like my partner, are immune to measles because they've been vaccinated. Some, like me, are immune because they've been infected before. When the measles virus only bumps up against people who are immune, it can't travel any further. It just has nowhere else to go. So, for instance, if someone infected with the measles virus has visited my house, 
they wouldn't have anyone to infect. We're both immune for different reasons. The virus would just stop traveling. Now, even though most of us have been infected with the influenza virus before, and many of us have been vaccinated against flu, flu undergoes rapid mutation of its genetic structure, which means that every winter, when it hits us here in North America, it's slightly different than it was the year before. Our bodies don't quite recognize it, so we're susceptible to being infected again. The flu jab each year represents scientists' best attempt to predict the genetic structure of that year's strain. The vaccination teaches our bodies what the structure of the influenza virus looks like that year, priming us to build immunity so that we can fight off the virus when we encounter it in the wild. What makes the virus that causes COVID so special is that it has many, many susceptible people to infect. The virus that causes COVID is a novel coronavirus, or one that doesn't seem to have encountered the human population before December, or maybe November, of 2019. It's a zoonotic virus, meaning that it infects both humans and other animals. It's likely that it jumped from the animal it originally infected, thought to be a species of bat, to humans, possibly by way of a so-called bridge or transitional animal. This may be why the first cases were associated with a market in Wuhan selling live animals. It's believed that an infected live animal passed the virus to its first human victim. Once the virus found a toehold in the human population, it took off. Because nobody has encountered the virus before, none of us are immune. There's no vaccination, and there likely won't be for many months. So, where are we now? Well, I'm recording this on April 1st, 2020, but looking at statistics from March 28th, 2020. As of March 28th, there were 5,576 cases of COVID-19 in Canada. 61 people have died. In Ontario, where I live and work, 1,117 people are sick with COVID. Eight have recovered. 19 have died. We are all waiting to see what happens next, bracing ourselves for a strain to our healthcare system unlike any we have ever seen. My partner is working from home. My best friend recently returned from international travel and is quarantined. Friends and family have been laid off or fired as businesses have shuttered in an attempt to slow the steady march of the virus. It's safe to say we're all a little bit nervous maybe even scared, but we're hopeful. The public response to COVID has been incredible and I'm encouraged when I drive to work and find the streets mostly empty. It's an eerie sensation to be sure, but it's comforting to know that people are staying home. People are trying to avoid the sorts of big gatherings where COVID can travel easily amongst unsuspecting hosts. As we face the threat of short supplies of personal protective equipment, it's heartening to hear of people donating masks and gloves to local hospitals. My nieces and nephews are going stir-crazy at home, but their hand-drawn cards give me a boost. Next episode, we'll talk about what it looks like when people are sick with COVID, what flattening the curve really means, and what we can learn from the countries who've encountered the virus before us. But before we end this episode, I want to extend a special thanks to Mary and Hugh 
the two medical students who are the brains behind this operation and without whom this series wouldn't be possible. Thank you also to all my incredible colleagues, both inside and outside the hospital. All my friends and family who've offered words of support, meals, and an endless supply of COVID-related memes. And all of you who are practicing careful social distancing, even though it's tedious and incredibly inconvenient. I'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, wash your hands, don't touch your face, and please stay safe.